welcome to Page Starter Podcast. This is Lisa Furland, and today I am joined with Zach Applewhite. He is employed as a search engine optimization and digital marketing strategist. On the side, Zach has a great deal of passion for stories and the people who craft them, and he is always eager to offer tricks, strategy, and advice to help his community. Welcome, Zach. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is so great. So you have a, a number of serial Kickstarter successes under your belt. And I wanted to talk a, a little bit about that strategy because you do run a different strategy. Um, most campaigns, especially in publishing, are around $5,000 to $8,000 on average. Uh, but you run something that you call a micro Kickstarter campaign. So can you explain a little bit about that and about how you got into first running micro Kickstarters? Absolutely. So micro Kickstarters and for the, some of you might have heard of quick starters. Okay. It's a very similar concept, except I'm wrapping, I'm giving it a little more um, voice and I'm, I'm wrapping a bigger strategy around it. All right. So the idea of a micro Kickstarter is that it's something that is low stakes for the creator and for the backer. All right. It's something that can be done and fulfilled very easily and confidently and it's a way to put yourself out there begin engaging with the platform growing your audience testing out things and getting market viability before you take this big lunge this big plea this big leap into something bigger it was actually born out of me seeing people uh, i'd been doing it for a while but i actually started to put together the strategy and communicate it because i've seen so many awesome creators, artists, writers everywhere that they start off with like a $10,000 funding goal and they raise like $2,500. Well, Kickstarter is an all or nothing platform. And so they're considered a failure. All right. And less than 20% of those who fail on their first Kickstarter are going to return anytime soon because they've been discouraged. They think that the market told them that they're a failure. All right. But I know from experience, you don't need $10,000 to launch a book. Maybe you don't need the audiobook and three different versions of the book. Okay. You actually only need, if you're using something like Lulu and you're just print, you're just shipping the book and you're in the U S and so you can get media rate shipping. You only need about $500. All right. To actually get funded and put your book out there for the first time. And so raising $2,000 should never be considered a failure. You, what the market actually showed you is that right now, as you are with your first time trying something, you were able to get over two, you know, a hundred, let's say people to say, take my money. I want your thing. All right. So it's also a matter of setting yourself up for success. All right. The way that I started doing it is I actually started selling poems for a dollar. I was delivering pizza. I was a full-time college student working 50 hours a week. And I had a bun in the oven with my wife. And, and I just kept doing these, all right? But I sold it for a dollar. I maybe raised on my first uh, Kickstarter less than $50. And I had a funding goal of $1 back when they would let you do that. <laughs> Since then, I've raised over um, $15,000, uh, over 20 campaigns. And the strategy in summary is basically... Just build your castle one brick at a time rather than trying to do it all at once. Think about it like remodeling a home. You could remodel the whole house and then all the over budgets and all the mistakes and everything happens with that whole house, the place where you live and you've put so much work into. Or you could remodel just the kitchen 
learn everything from that realize that you don't want to work with this contractor that you don't want to do things a certain way that the budget's not exactly how you thought it was going to work and now that you've learned everything you're much more equipped to take on that bigger project and that's what we finally did with Kalen's debut novel Awakening Anne was the bigger project where we had never raised more than I think $1,500 $1,500 on a Kickstarter campaign and with this one we reached nearly $7,000 all of that was because we took everything we learned, we gained confidence, we gained an audience, and we were able to leverage all of that toward the bigger project, all while still living our life and me get it, finishing out college and getting the job, having the kids. And so it's a way to start putting yourself out into the world and building something without sacrificing you know, your mental health, your financial stability, or your, your work-life balance. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's super interesting to me because again, I work with authors who are, you know, they're looking to recoup $10,000, $15,000 in expenses. And a lot of it is, you know, illustration expenses, uh, offset printing expenses, things like that. So um, your strategy of saying, okay, we're going to have a micro goal, a hundred dollar goal. Let's say we're gonna have a hundred dollar goal and exceed that very quickly. Now as part of the strategy to be a thousand percent funded on Kickstarter and appear, you know, raise through the algorithm and, and grab more attention on the platform itself. Or can you walk me through a little bit more about the, the larger strategy around this micro approach? Yeah. So the first thing is that there's a few different ways to go about the micro approach just in itself. So for example, we actually started Kaylin off. Uh, we're big nerds. We play Dungeons and Dragons. And so we also started writing uh, materials that you can play in your Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And once we did that for a little bit, Kaylin started to add short stories to those in that setting of the game. All right. That was a way of introducing her as an author to people who knew her as a game writer, you know, and then we were able to collect all of those short stories, add in a bunch of new ones and create a book of short stories set in the tabletop gaming universe of her Dungeons and Dragons world. All right. All of that was a perfect viable market test to say, if we can sell a collection of TTRPG short stories, which no one is Googling for, no one is searching for that, okay, if we can sell that, we feel confident we can sell anything, mm -hmm. all right? So that's that's the first bit of just like collectively gaining and pivoting uh, toward the right toward the writing that she wants to do. Because now we had to transfer these fantasy audience over to her more romantic mystery, you know, type of stuff. And we lost some people there, but we still had a lot more than we would have if we just started out that way. So that's the first bit. The second bit is that we did $1 campaigns. Okay, so this are, these are uh, things called one shots, which is a game you can play in one night with your friends if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, whereas a campaign can take many, many nights. Okay, so we sell this one shot. It's $1. It's a way of actually growing an email list. Okay. And it's not actually, it's, it does get you more easily circulated around Kickstarter and people have a very low barrier to entry. It's a way of buying something from you without investing a ton of money, knowing that they're going to get it. You build a track record for yourself. And we see a lot of people who buy for, from us at that very small level convert to be people who buy $40 worth of purely digital material. We don't have to print anything. All right. And then we're able to take all that money, 
put it into a savings account so that when we bought this amazing cover art that we have for Kaylin's book, we had the money in the bank to do so, you know, uh, just built up slowly over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, so you did you launch without an audience in the beginning? You launched without an audience and just kind of used each successive crowdfunding campaign to grow your audience. Is that was that the approach? That's that's the core approach. Okay, mm -hmm. so the core approach is you could do without almost any social media for your very first one. Tell your friends and family, and then after that. Just keep connecting with your audience. If your products are good, they'll return. We have a very excellent return rate of backers, okay? Now, it also, of course, helps if you're doing social media as well, which we work to do. We've grown Kalen's Facebook very well. We, uh, I started on Twitter. I've grown a TikTok to 15,000 followers, uh, 15, not 50, um, thousand followers. And so, and, and we've been able to leverage those a little bit, but it's mostly, it, it becomes almost like a micro networking thing where you get to be very uh, hands-on with your customers through the backer updates. And then you can say, hey, by the way, do you want to join my email list? And we'll let you know the next time we launch something. And then you can go, we took her uh, collection of short stories to an event. And we actually got a lot of people who had never been on Kickstarter before sign up because we had a big, beautiful poster of the book to come of Kaylin's debut novel Awakening and that beautiful cover art and it drew people in and so actually for that one we did something new and we were able to start off with 20 people who had never been on Kickstarter ready to back that day they signed up for the email list and it was that was a pivot point and that's the point of the micro Kickstarter is that hopefully you're not doing these forever this is a way to build the foundation for something bigger all right and there's going to be a pivot point where you're going to do new things that are going to capitalize on all the momentum you built for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so you you did six micro and then launched Awakening Anne, which was with I think what was the campaign goal amount for that one? Was that four thousand? Only I think it was only like one thousand dollars. One thousand still, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. we're we're very much uh, we throw the vanity out the window. We've done the math. The math is, and we paid good money for that cover art. All right. We were also willing to take a loss mm -hmm. on this, on this one, but we've always set ourselves of like, what's the minimum amount to make all of this worth it? What's the minimum amount to say that we have something here? So when we're doing the completely digital TTRPG D and D stuff, it's a funding goal of only a hundred dollars, because if I can't raise a hundred dollars, I did something wrong. I did something wrong and I need to go back to the drawing board. Same thing with this book. If we couldn't raise $1,000 when we were able to sell a collection of TTRPG short stories for a funding goal of 500, okay? If we can't then make a thousand off of what we consider to be a much fuller, better uh, collective work, then we're doing something wrong and we need to go back to the drawing board, all right? And of course, Kickstarter lets you keep going. Mm -hmm. We got fully funded early. This uh, lets everyone know that, we're very capable, that we're very confident, competent, and that they're backing a winning horse. And so now it's more about how far can we make this thing go? Yeah, I think I love it that, you know, the small goal takes the stress out. Yeah. Do you think possibly a downside would be the small goal may, I guess, 
for some creators, they say, oh, once I reached my goal, I kind of lost momentum. Like people helped me achieve my goal. But then once I reached my goal, I the, the momentum dropped off and I didn't get as many backers as I did in the beginning when I was pre hitting the goal. Have you seen that on your side? Or do you think it's even easier to say, okay, this is definitely happening now we can add more and more. And is that something you do with, with stretch goals to entice people to keep coming and sharing the campaign? So in the micros that when we're just doing the ones that are like 100, you know, maximum 500, um, we have stretch goals all planned out to keep people engaged. And it's mostly that in, in general, no matter what you do, no matter where your goal is, your first two or three days and your last two or three days are going to be your biggest. And you're almost always going to have a little plateau with like maybe some incline and sometimes often a complete flat line because all, all you let all your audience know, everyone knows within the first couple of days that you've launched. Okay. That's where most of your conversion is going to happen. All right. So we've always experienced that bit of plateau. We uh, kind of help Get that on the incline, usually by doing stretch goals, by engaging with our audience, by doing um, backer updates with this last one. We had a whole bunch of people that had never been on Kickstarter before. So we just made updates that were like, here's what it means to be a backer. Here's what you can expect once we finished. Here's, we have a survey. We'll need you to fill it out so that we can deliver your reward. Your, your reward will be delivered approximately at this time and through these mediums. You know, so it's an excellent time to just connect. And whenever we had an event that we were doing, we took pictures, we let them know, you know, it's like its own miniature e-newsletter while you're running the campaign. And so we were doing a post every three days or so as a way to keep them engaged, even if we weren't growing it exponentially we were keeping our base very engaged very strong and we were taking that time to build a brand so that when people received their books and this has already happened they're excited about it you know this has been amped up and built for them even though that funding goal wasn't raising we're our own cheerleaders we don't need kickstarter to cheerlead for us we're good at it we're loud about it this is what kayla's been dreaming of since she was nine <laughs> you know so that's that that's definitely it's going to happen you're going to do that my one thing that i would recommend for that i've hit my funding goal and now i'm losing i feel like i'm losing momentum one we all lose momentum it's natural Two, shorten the amount of time um we generally we for this last one we did 30 days that's too long we usually only do 14 to 21 days mm -hmm. it's too long and the extra people you get in those extra like five days is so minuscule in comparison to the mental health of having to worry about it for those extra five days where you're barely growing that I would just say shorten the campaign, especially if you're doing a micro campaign, we never go longer than 21 days because we, we want it done quickly. We want people to get the rewards quickly and we've already funded and we've already hit 90% of the people who were ever going to back us. Totally agree. A, a micro campaign does not need 30 days. That's painful. <laughs> it's no. absolutely it is, painful. It is, it is absolutely painful. Even a 10K campaign, it's like 30 days. Get in, get out. Uh, it's too much. It, it's just too much stress on the creator and you burn out your audience uh, much longer than that. So amazing. So in terms of, you know, because you have so many Kickstarters under your belt and you've been through this time after time again, what advice would you give to authors who are looking to do this for the first time? And then I guess if any different advice is for someone coming 
to it the nth time. Um, you know, no, it's almost like having children, like no two children are the same. Um, you're a different person each time you launch another project. Uh, so what advice would you give authors in those two different scenarios, a first time launcher and a, a subsequent launcher? Yeah. So 100, 100%, let's start with, let's say you have, you know, not a huge following, you're coming out of this completely green. My first piece of advice is just go nuts have fun. It doesn't even have to be about writing. We originally started uh, where you looked at our Apple White Games Kickstarter. We actually started with one called Beta Games, okay, where that's where I wrote poetry. We did um, some kids materials. We did Kaylin crocheted uh, dice bags that she designed. We did any, that was a sandbox. We did anything and everything we wanted to do with no rhyme or reason other than like, could we make money off of this? And will we enjoy doing it? I have an idea. Let's do the idea. All right. It's an excellent time to just, just take a moment to enjoy the process and learn from the process so that when you're facing that thing that you're really passionate about, that that debut novel, you have all the tools you need to make it a success. For someone who is, you know, has a little skin in the game already, whether that's because they've run a couple of Kickstarters or because they already had a following as an author, but they're thinking of going over to Kickstarter, I would consider the micro Kickstarter approach only if you want to either A, find a way to grow your audience. So let's say you did an anthology with other authors. All right. That's something that you could say, hey, we're just doing this for fun because we love to write. We all had these short stories lying around and we wanted to give them to you. So you turn it into a networking event. You turn it into something that is a low stakes for you. And it's a great way to start crossing over people's audiences in a way to introduce you to everybody. And you get your toes wet and you get to do something that's fun and interesting and low stakes while also getting a lot of opportunity to grow that email list, grow that social media following and introduce your work to a new audience. Mm -hmm. So those would be my like different recommendations for the different uh, children, you know, uh, kind of analogy. The different, the different use cases there. I know that's great. Now in terms of, you know, if, if someone were to look at running a Kickstarter campaign to grow their audience, there are certain rules that Kickstarter has and how you can use backer data. Can you explain a little on what's the best way that you have found to convert backers into email subscribers in, you know, the, the best way? Because some people they're like, no, I backed you on Kickstarter. It's, I'm good. I'm done. So how yep. do you convert them into being a loyal member of your audience? So I'll start by addressing what is a real problem because I'm on a Facebook group of authors who run or follow and back Kickstarters. Okay. And I, we have recently seen, I think since Brandon Sanderson has kind of opened a floodgate of new attention and authors coming in and they don't quite know or understand the rules. And so they're making mistakes and they're probably not realizing that they're doing it. The number one thing I'm seeing is that people are like, I bought a $5 ebook and now I am on the newsletter from hell. And I never said I wanted to be on this newsletter. I said I wanted an ebook. It is written down in Kickstarter's rules that what I give you to, to send me my reward is not something that you can use for your own personal purposes, okay? And that if you do so, I as a backer have a right to report you, which can lead to your account being suspended, okay? So you, what, if you get an email so that you can deliver your ebook because you were running a micro Kickstarter and you didn't want to ship anything and you kept it real light, that's great. You That email, once you've delivered, that goes into a black hole 
that you're not ethically supposed to touch. Now, how do you then get those people to go in? First, at the end of that ebook, you have a way to sign up for your newsletter. It goes to a link tree or it goes directly to a survey where they can sign up for your newsletter. You can also prompt them there to say, hey, now that you've read this book, review it on Amazon or wherever else you have it. The second thing that we usually do is, you know, um, two to three months after they've received their reward, send a backer survey. All right. This is something that you put in your um, backer updates on Kickstarter. All right. Which goes out straight to their email. And you say, hey, you got the book. I want to hear what you think. Tell me how I did. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you didn't like. Did you connect with the main character? Here's just 10 quick questions. It'll take five minutes. By the way, at the end of that survey, if you want to hear what I'm doing next, please put your email here and I will let you know what I'm doing next. I promise not to bug you. All right. Or sign up for my e-newsletter. I will bug you, but it'll be entertaining. You know? And you consented. So... <laughs> They've consented. These are also people who are highly, highly qualified. Your open rate's going to be higher on those emails because they've invested something in you at this point. They have invested their time and money finding your campaign and buying it. And then they reinvested their time giving you feedback. And at this point, they should want you to succeed. And then they signed up to say, I want to see where you go with this. I want to, I want, I want to watch you take this to the next level. All right, because I'll also say that if you're just pulling out people's emails and you're creating all of this uh, bad blood between you and the backers who did not sign up for that, not only have you disrupted your brand, your your open rate's going to go tank and you're going to end up in the spam folder. All right, and so that's another nice tool of Kickstarter with every micro Kickstarter you launch. Every time you post a backer update, that's its own little email list. It goes straight to their email where they can open it and they can see what you're doing next. So every time we launch Kalen's Kickstarters, we're letting our past Kickstarter backers know, hey, look what's happening. All right. So for example, you did that anthology work. Every time you post an update on that, let's say you was a cheap, you did an ebook, it was $10 for all these authors, an amazing deal. You got a hundred backers on there. Uh, most of them never heard of you before. The next time you're launching a project, you're letting them know. And you didn't even have to get them to sign up for an email list. Right. All right. Better if you can. Absolutely better if you can. But they're still there. As long as they're not ignoring Kickstarter emails. As long as they're not yeah. ignoring Kickstarter emails. And that that is something that can happen. And it's always, 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 you know, Kickstarter. Uh, we've We've seen with Twitter, sometimes a rich guy just walks in and ruins it for everybody. <laughs> Don't want your eggs all in one basket. I definitely, definitely recommend getting them off platform to connect with you personally um, as soon as in, and as frequently as possible. But it's also a nice little security to know that even if you're having trouble, you know, doing that, you still have this mechanism at your disposal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about asking for feedback a few months after people have had a chance to read it. And mm -hmm. because that's something I found is that a, when you ask for feedback, it shows that you're open to feedback. So people automatically, mm -hmm. in, they're like, okay, you're a real human. You're a real person. Like I can talk to you. You're asking for my feedback and you're telling them that you value them as a member of the community and they can help shape your writing in the future. And I think that that just means a lot to a reader to say, oh, wow, like I did have opinions about this book and I do think I can help you improve because that's, and that's mistakenly where a lot of readers 
leave in book reviews thinking that it's going to the the author instead of going to other readers book reviews are for for readers not not for the writers and so to give them an outlet to provide you that feedback that's intended for the purpose of giving the author the feedback i think that's really helpful in terms of community building and all this back and forth conversation yeah, and that's uh, one one hack that I've I've definitely seen utilize pretty well is to end with like a snippet of like, can you tell if you were selling this, if you were telling a friend your favorite parts of this book, what would it be? All right, let them write that out, and then you can prompt them with like, by the way, can you review this book? And you can just copy and paste whatever you want from this survey to the book. All right. They'll copy. They will almost definitely copy and paste that little paragraph that they just those two sentences that they just wrote about what they liked about your book because you did give them that outlet and you prompted them and you've made the work less for them. It's a simple copy paste for them now. Yeah. Yep. And generally, you know, if someone backs your Kickstarter campaign before it even exists, they do want to help you. They do want to leave. They know that reviews on Amazon and Goodreads are part of how you get discovered as an author. So it generally is a good seed group to put up a bunch of reviews on Amazon for you. So then you can have sort of another mini launch on, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So it's, it's pretty clear that this Kickstarter approach has, has worked for you. Have you launched titles off of Kickstarter or have you done all on Kickstarter? So this is where like, we're we're experimenting a little bit. This is now we're encroaching on new territory for us. We launched the ebook on Amazon, but we're still in the fulfillment process for Kickstarter. All right. So ideally, you would have all the books ready to go. And if we had just done a regular paperback, that's what we would have done. We did that with uh, Chronicles of Aragarth, which was the TTRPG short story collection. It's just paperbacks. We ship them out. They're shipped out. Great. Let's go straight to Amazon. All right. And then we can like reconnect and try and get people over. Okay. That first time, like I said, that was us learning. So we made a lot of mistakes with this latest one. The new thing we also did was that we had this really awesome ornate hardcover version. Okay. It's more expensive. It's being produced over in like France by a company called Pulsio. It's taking more time because it's more labor intensive. It it is, it it, it is more. Okay. Um, But what that has done is it's kind of clogged up our system so that we don't want to put out the uh, paperback version on Amazon until we believe we're getting close to at least to the point of sending out these special ornate hardcover editions, okay? But by putting the ebook on there, we've been able to have an outlet where people can go and review it, okay? Because we were able to send out everyone who ordered an ebook, we sent that out right away. Uh, once we had the paperbacks from Lulu, we shipped those out right away. All right. And so we have been kind of like, I think I've been pumping the brakes on really engaging the whole audience that backed us to go and review because I'm waiting for those one. I'm waiting for the paperback launch, which comes in August on Amazon, because that's when we expected to have our hardcovers from Pulsio. All right. And because I want everyone to have at least their book on their way before I start telling them that other people are getting the book, you know, now that's created a little bit of difficulty where this was the first time working with Pulsio. So we're still learning some things. There's a little bit of mistakes. And to speak to that, just be clear with your audience. 
okay? Don't let them find out from anyone else, okay? It's just like if you make a mistake at work, do you want Shannon to tell your boss <laughs> or do you want you to tell your boss? When you're, when you're an indie author, your readers are your boss and you want them to hear about any difficulties or any concerns that they may have. You want the conversation to start with you so that you can control that narrative or at least be more impactful on it versus them learning that it's on Amazon and that you didn't even tell them. Yep. I agree. And I think, you know, it's, this is your seventh campaign and you're still learning new things because you're oh. doing things differently. So it, it's important to remember every time you do something a little differently or try something new or stretch in a different way, you're going to run into new obstacles and obstacles that weren't there. Um, as, as someone who works with offset printers all the time, it's like, you have to give yourself six to eight months um, extra, like more time than you think. And you're like, no, there's no possible way. It's like, uh, Definitely. Then there, there are always unforeseen issues and formatting and the more language barriers you have, the, the harder it is. And then shipping and customs and port fees and the whole thing, it turns into um, a whole other uh, fulfillment dilemma. Um, but that's, that's part of it. And then you learn. And I, I, I totally agree. As long as you're communicating whatever issues you're running into with your backers, they, they understand. And if you've already delivered the eBooks, you know, they have this story um, and they'll love the the hardcover and it'll all be worth it. And it, then you'll know in the future, like, okay, delivery will happen in 10 months when, you know, we're, we're a little closer to it. Mm -hmm. so very good. So what would you say, you know, it sounds like you're saying the best parts about running a Kickstarter campaign is, you know, obviously uh, a fun way to engage with your readers, grow your readership, uh, build a community. But what would you say is sort of the, the downside or more the negative aspects of running a Kickstarter campaign? Yeah. So the number one thing is work-life balance. It's because it's project-based work is very freeing in, in that you're no longer feel the need to always be selling, okay? Because what we can do is while we're engaging with people on social media for most months out of the year, we're just chatting. We're just entertaining. We're just being a brand. We're commenting. We're we're letting people know who Kaylin is and I'm doing my own stuff and I'm letting people know who I am, all right? And then you come to the project and it all happens at once, which in some ways is very nice, but it's all happening at once, and like for this campaign, we ran it longer, that disrupted things. We also, again, we learned something new. This was a higher pressure thing. Again, Kaylin's been dreaming about it since she was nine, you know, um, that that all kind of got to us a little bit. And so my first piece of recommendation for that is to, uh, before you start the Kickstarter, actually just write down what your daily habits are. Write down, write down what time you're waking up. Write down, like, I have breakfast, I go for a walk, I go for a shower. Just give yourself a little roadmap of what a normal day is for you before the Kickstarter, because what you don't realize when you have the Kickstarter and you're disrupting your life and your pattern over this project because you're responding to messages and you want to get your update out there and you need to let this person from this newsletter or this podcast know something, all right, you, you will suddenly realize all the good habits you've built for yourself. Get, as they get torn away and at the end you'll be picking up the pieces and not knowing what you forgot and what goes where so create a little roadmap of your life you by the way it's it's probably a good exercise just to figure out where you can improve that roadmap give that give yourself that roadmap so that at least when you're done 
you have an idea, you have a skeleton structure of like how to get back to normal, you know, once that's over. The only other struggle um, besides just normal, like minor headaches of like, oh, shipping and customer service, you know, the only other struggle that we've really faced is that um, people confuse my impact on the Kickstarter. Okay, this is actually something that we only ran into with this latest one is that um, a lot of people that we we know we, we go to book clubs with these people um, are diminishing Kaylin's role as the writer and emphasizing my role as the marketer because I'm the one with the degree and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's I think that with most of them, it's a defense tactic of like, why am I not successful? Oh, it's because I'm not married to a marketer. Certainly I help. Okay, but the actual relationship that's happening here is more of like an athlete and a coach slash manager. Okay, she's the talent. Okay, I would be selling garbage. (laughs) I was if I was selling my own stuff. Okay, she's I'm not the one running in the Olympics. Okay, she's I gave her a little bit of coaching. I showed her how to do a few things on social media to help that grow. I and she slowly absorbed some of my marketing um, prowess and methods into her own stuff. And then she's the one who's taken it to the finish line. All right. And having to reeducate people who don't know us at all and even people we know to say like, no, 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 you don't get it. I did six months of work. She's done years of it. You know, I, I'm I'm like you, I should be in the background. Like no, no one knows who the manager for the person on the Wheaties box is. Okay. That's my role. That's me. I just pull a few strings so that you know about her. All right. But that that's that that's the weirdest thing that came across on this latest one is that we finally got good enough where people were like a little envious and like okay but like why why you and not me oh it must be him you know um we're getting over that (laughs) (laughs) it's tough you know and you know i I applaud you for saying you know for giving the credit where credit is due because it is kaylin's writing and her creativity and her story and you both as a team have done a great job at introducing her writing to people over time. And it's really her writing that has built the community. Yes, there's marketing, there's marketing with everything, but it truly is when you are story-based and story first, it's the story. And she's the one writing the story and, and putting it out there. So yeah, all the kudos go, go to her. And then you are in the support role and making that happen. But, um, totally agree as as a coach it's important to say like they're the one who deserve all the credit i'm here in a supportive role and you know helping helping be a part of it for sure helping support and and be a part of it um but she's the one crossing the finish line she's the one taking it to the to the end so good without literally nothing and and the other thing to say about that like i'm just there to increase impact of her talent okay so for example if i was writing it we would have a lower conversion of one project to another okay because my writing wouldn't be good enough to carry people over all right she's good enough that people want to actually keep writing her i'm my job as the marketer is literally just to remind them that's what email newsletters are they're just a reminder of like hey you wanted this a couple months ago. You wanted it one month ago. You wanted it last week and you still want it today. Please don't forget to do that. You know, because the project ends soon. 
All right. And that's where most author writers struggle is like they're they're so good at talking about their characters and their world. And when it comes to themselves, they're like, who am I? I'm not special. The only thing I bring to the to the table is audacity. Okay. And I just give her a little bit of that. That's my talent is to believe that I'm worth something. And there's that's the thing that most authors actually struggle with. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I say you just need some white male audacity and you're, yeah. you'll be good. Just take just like a just take a, a fraction of it. Male. It's the one piece of straight white male energy you need in your life. Yep. All right, is to just believe. Yeah, just believe in yourself. <laughs> Regardless I, I, of what you're actually capable of or what your qualifications are. Yeah. Yeah, so why not? A little bit of delusional thinking, especially in this realm where you're, we're writing books, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not selling snake oil. We're not harming anyone. Uh, these oh. are stories. This is, uh, some are inspirational stories. Some are entertaining, some are educational, like, but we're, we're selling stories, um, and making a difference in people's lives through the written word. So have more audacity, have more confidence in yourself that yes, you are worth something and, why not why not be a little delusional in your thinking and and see what you can achieve so this is it great is, it is a little bit of kind of just fake it till you make it because and this is just the, the classic story of like how many people rejected jk rowling all right how many if you read stephen king's uh book on writing how many rejection letters did he nail to the wall okay you are told that you're not worth it way more times than you're ever you're just looking for that one magic time that so that someone tells you that you're worth it but for the rest of the time every successful writer athlete politician everybody they're the cheerleader saying that they're worth it out there to convince the world because the world loves to grow weeds way more than it does to pick out the roses hmm. all right and so you got to be in charge of your own garden just for a random analogy out of nowhere. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And also, you know, it sounds like you ran into a little tall, we just keep the garden analogy going, a little tall poppy syndrome where, you know, the people in your community were like, Oh, why did you guys succeed? Like mm -hmm. almost, you know, the crabs in the bucket trying to pull you back down. And yep. I think, you know, so many authors have fear of failure, but then a lot of authors have fear of success as well, because success does set you apart from someone in a different way. And they're like, oh, what did you do? What, what's the secret that you did to achieve this? You must have done something other than hard work, repetition, consistency, and talent. You must have done something other than that. And it's like, no, I just did hard work, repetition, uh, and, and, you know, and no, that's, and talent. <laughs> here's, here's a great example of that is that so it's so it should be obvious, and it's something though that I've had to learn, is that writers are extremely romantic people. Okay. They romanticize what it means to be a writer. Okay. They romanticize and idolize and heroize the people that, you know, write the books that they enjoy, completely oblivious to the fact that they're perfectly normal people. And the first time we really experienced this was with this latest work. We go to this convention. Kaylin is under 30. She's very young and, and has this wonderful, beautiful face and smile. All right. And I cannot tell you how many people approached her and it was like, how old are you? You're doing this? That's amazing. What they did, this was just at a little, this was a library of book event in Akron, Ohio. 
it was free. It was a free event that we signed up for and we put work into doing our booth and having that beautiful banner and all of that. And that's the work of it. But actually getting behind that booth was something that anyone could have done. Launching a Kickstarter and it be like, especially with micro, it being successful is something almost anyone is capable of, of if you're willing to do the work and a little bit of research and planning. Okay, but it's writers do get this imposter syndrome because they romanticize the final product. All right, without realizing that the barrier to entry is actually extremely low. You know, and that's just I say that as an encouraging point of saying like the difference between you being walking around that book fair and the, and you being behind the booth is actually much less work than you think it is. You don't have to be special. No one interviewed us. No one said, why are you worthy of this booth? Okay. We said, hey, we think we're worthy of this booth. Can we be on it? And they said, yes. You know, and that's just putting yourself out there. Tear down, tear down things. You don't need to be the idol that you've turned people into. Right. Zach, you're, you're taking down everyone's excuses. And so I think <laughs> a lot of people that are like, oh, I wish, you know, I wish I could be an author, but it's going to be this, this, and this. And, oh, I can't do this because of all these reasons. And they they hide behind the excuses of, oh, it needs a big budget or it needs a this or it needs that. And you're saying, no, just do it. The barriers to entry are very low. My poetry, when I started selling poetry, I, I published two books of poems on Kickstarter. I did not want to be a professional poet, okay? I was writing haikus while I was delivering pizza, and I had the white male audacity to say, I should get paid for this, okay? And that's what I did, and I ended up with two whole books of poetry. I didn't put them on Amazon, and I did nothing else with them. Poets are also also the most inwardly focused people. So it's a very niche market. And I saw that the market opportunity there wasn't very large. All right. But the point being is that like, I, I'm not even a great poet and I did it. Now, that being said, it's perfectly good to be aware of your limitations. For example, Kaylin as a fiction writer versus me as a fiction writer, I have stories I want to tell. All right. I've written a couple of short stories that I'm proud of that I've given to people and gotten good feedback on. But I'm also realistic that as a very hands-on dad who works 40 hours a week, who's helping my wife grow her career while also growing my own side hustles, do I have the time to develop my writing to the point where I can be as good of a writer as I want to be when I'm putting that out there? No. not I, I can't do that right now. Maybe there's a time where Kaylin can sugar mama me. All right. And, and and I get to become the the ideal house husband. You're, you're working on it. You're making it happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm out here trying to be a house husband. All right. When I get to get to that point that I have time to develop my writing and do the fiction side and put out my own fiction books. Great. However, I can do nonfiction. I'm right now taking the time that I hope in 2025, I will put out a book on micro Kickstarters. I'm building a community around that. I'm engaging with people within the TTRPG space. And by engaging with them, I'm putting, I'm doing the kind of blog to book method of by putting a bunch of content out there, then taking it, setting it aside for when I'm ready to wrap it all up into a cohesive thought of a book, I'll be able to do that. That I'm capable of. 
And so that's what I'm going to run with. And that's you, you do have to be realistic with yourself of what you're capable of, what you can do with your time, your life, your abilities, and where do I need to develop when I can, when I have the time and when I have the inspiration, I write short stories that I try to be proud of. And then I have my wife who's actually good at this to tell me where I need to improve. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. If you could give someone two tips on how to grow their following prior to a Kickstarter launch, what would you tell them? Uh, number one, because this is, uh, I'll tell you what mistakes not to make. Okay. Number one mistake. Don't be on every platform. Okay. You'll burn out. Burnout's the number one enemy to all creatives. Okay. Especially when you're trying to do um, content marketing and engaging with the audience on multiple platforms, pick one or two platforms that you are already on and engage with, okay? For most of you, that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, something like that. So pick two that you already interact with and then one that you're interested in, all right? For me, this was uh, Twitter and Facebook. I tweeted one thought every day while I was in the bathroom, all right? When no kids were around me and I wasn't at work, okay? One thought per day. Eventually, I screenshotted those. I put those around Facebook and I was able to grow the Facebook group and the Facebook page. Okay. And then I made memes while I was in the bathroom. All right. I did, I did the bare minimum. Okay. To slowly grow something and avoid burnout. Eventually, I had enough time on my plate where I could actually just read my tweets and make it into a TikTok. And I was able to grow my TikTok. So the first thing is start small, start micro. Okay. Two platforms, you know one that you're interested in, a little bit of experimentation to find the balance, all right? Focus on sustainability first. Quality will happen naturally over time. Do as much as you can with as much as you have, and then let the quality follow. Experiment here and there to refine the process, all right? That was like 20 things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very good. So, so I meant to only say two, <laughs> But uh, that. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, if you want to uh, help me in my quest to become a house husband, you can go buy my wife's book, Awakening Anne. The ebook is on Amazon. Uh, or you can sign up for, for her email list at applewhitegames.com and go to Kaylin's tab and sign up for the email list so that when we do launch that paperback, on Amazon, you'll be the first to know. And if you do read it and you do love it, please review it. Perfect. I will link to everything below so people can easily access Awakening Anne and sign up for Caitlin's newsletter. Thank you so much, Zach. It was wonderful. You shared so many amazing insights and I'm sure uh, a lot of people will get some, some interesting takeaways from this. So thank you for being here. Yep. And also, if, you're, if you have any questions, just hit me up online. Thank you, Lisa, for having me Thank here. Thank you. And I hope everyone had a, had a good piece of value that they got out of that. Absolutely. Thank you right. so much.